0: Welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen. We
1: are once again live down here in the Bear Cave Studios for another episode of the Sports Frenzy Podcast, Sold Out. With me, your host, Freddie Aloso, with my co-host, Anthony, the Encyclopedia.
0: And gentlemen, no title belts were stolen in the process of recording this episode or since our last one. The World Championship held by El Oso is safe in the Bear Cave Studios.
1: It is safe. It will not be found on the side of the highway. It will not be recovered by the state police. We are in safe hands.
0: No bubbly needed. Uh, But speaking of bubbly, uh, so Chris Jericho is the first All Elite Wrestling Champion, and that actually kind of ties into the topic we're talking about tonight. Uh, So 40 years ago, on September 1st, 1979, the Intercontinental title was born when the first champion, Pat Patterson, won the title in a tournament in Rio de Janeiro, and there's no footage of it. Hmm. So did he actually win it, or was it one of those? Here you go, you got it. He was the North American champion, and the claim was that he won a a tournament uh, where he unified it with the South American title. Um, But this being the WWF, uh, this is not actually the only time that they've done something like this, but basically when they wanted to have something major happen and they don't have footage of it, they just claim Rio de Janeiro, so it's not the first time.
1: Alright, so what are we doing tonight, Encyclopedia?
0: Alright, so we know the network has had uh, six hours of the 20 most influential matches of all time. Uh, WWE Top 10 had the most emotional Intercontinental title victories Is uh, featured. Um, they had Shawn Michaels, the Road Dogg, and Jeff Jarrett kind of do a semi-watch along on the In Your House 2, the Lumberjacks, Intercontinental title match between Jarrett and... Shaw Michaels uh, so we don't want to match them so we decided to have a little bit of fun we uh, and this is for, uh, first for also we are going to do our top 10 intercontinental champions of all time
1: nice thank you for allowing me to jump on your top tens this is my first appearance on the top 10 by the encyclopedia so let's jump into it man
0: all right sounds good so uh first off i have invited you before so i don't want anyone thinking that i never invited him
1: he, he has invited me before but due to scheduling
0: i wasn't able to jump on but i'm i'm on it's all good okay so um top 10 we didn't really have a set criteria it was really just our top 10, who we thought the top 10 Intercontinental Champions of all time. Um, I know my criteria for me, I was looking at a couple things. Um, the Intercontinental title has been known as the workhorse title, so to speak, for a long time now. So uh, being able to work as the Intercontinental Champion, having a good match with all your opponents, uh, that was important to me when I was choosing it. Um, you know, charisma. And, what have you that helped to an extent but for me it was you helping boost the title or the title helped boost you and take you to that next level that was kind of my criteria for a lot of it for a lot of the people i picked i have some honorable mentions i have a top 10 based on some of that criteria and i'll well i'll state why i picked each person i did uh what about you
1: i did very similar also i I kind of base it on most memorable for me. Like, who really stuck out for their IC title run and kind of boosted themselves to that next level to go, in some cases, win the WWE Championship and some kind of stay at that top upper echelon, either mid-card or just under that main event?
0: Yeah, some of my picks, You kind of actually you, pretty much all of them. There's a few that was kind of on the tail end of their career. Um, one specific, but um, yeah, most of the time, most of the guys I picked, it was before they became that world title level or main event level. So um, first off, let's start off with a fun fact. So we narrowed it down to our top 10. There's been... And I did steal this from WWE.com, so I am giving the proper credit. They did a Intercontinental title by the numbers, so I'll be throwing different facts in I learned from that and uh, different little tidbits here and there I uh, found on Wikipedia. So uh, f- reported by WWE.com, there's been 82 different people that have won the Intercontinental title. Of those 82, 30 of them are Hall of Famers. So I thought that was interesting. Nice. Yes. And... Okay, so that's your first fun fact of the evening. Uh, now, I'm just gonna mention some names that might surprise you that did not make my list. So Those kind of my honorable mentions. First off, a lot, uh, pretty much, just about every favorite wrestler I've had since I started watching in 1990 held the Intercontinental title at some point. A lot of them didn't make that list. So, when I first started watching, I was a huge Texas Tornado fan. Not on my list. Mm-hmm. I was a huge Big Daddy Cool Diesel fan. Did not make the list. I was a very big Stone Cold Steve Austin fan. Uh, the, that first Austin 316 quote kind of put me on the edge of where I started loving him. Did not make my list. Uh, Kevin Owens, my current favorite. Not on my list. And then guys that you think I might have put on and didn't. Um, some of them memorable. Uh, some of them maybe not so much. I had considered Goldust and Jeff Jarrett. I feel like they were kind of similar in um, those mid-90 title reigns, and I, that was when I was in my teenage years, but I didn't feel like they made that top 10. Um, former two-time champ and a Hall of Famer, Tito Santana, did not make my list. And surprisingly, the greatest intercontinental champion of all time, according to him, the longest reigning champ of all time, the Honky Tonk Man, did not make my list.
1: Nice. I've got some honorable mentions as well. Stone Cold did not make my top 10 along with yours along with honky tonk the ultimate warrior he did not make the, the top 10 and rounding out my honorable mentions was china because she was the only woman to hold the intercontinental championship
0: okay that's one fun fact i'm not going to throw in now since you already mentioned it <laughs> 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 nice All right, let's start off with number 10. My number 10 was
1: Eddie Guerrero. Viva La Raza. One of my favorites. Um, That icy title reign for him really brought him to that upper echelon in WWE right before he kind of moved along his Character to the lie, cheat, and steal Eddie Guerrero. It introduced China in as well into the IC title pitcher. And for me, Eddie came in at 10 because I felt he was the workhorse at the time. He wasn't as big as Brock size wise. But he was the workhorse, and the IC title, you know, known for that. So for me, Eddie came in at
0: 10. Oh, interesting choice. And he actually, his first reign, and the encyclopedia sometimes kids not remember, I forgot about that match where he actually pinned China. First, first title win. I think if I remember correctly, he was kind of hugging her and laid her down on the mat, and the referee all of a sudden counted to three, and he kind of got this look on his face like, "Hmm, did I do that on purpose?" Yeah. And then there was Rob Van Dam was the other one. When he, he, uh, Van Dam won it back a month later, it was Guerrero and RVD in a ladder match on Raw, mm-hmm. and a fan came into the ring, and they both stomped the shit out of the guy. I love it when they do that. That's one of my favorites. A good pick. He he wasn't on my list. I admittedly did not um, actually even consider him. Uh, I thought about it for a sec. I was like, "Oh Eddie Guerrero was a champ." Um, same with like a Chris Benoit. Did not include him. Did not include a Kurt Angle. So, um, but not, I can't this. I can argue against Eddie Guerrero though. Uh, definitely put himself on the map with his Intercontinental title wins. So for me, my number 10 um, is actually uh, the most electrifying man in entertainment. It's The Rock. And for me, the reason why I put him on the list, um, it might be kind of low for some people, but um, there's been a lot of workhorse champions that I felt like were better wrestlers that uh, would rank higher than him. But for The Rock, it was kind of... Yeah, I'm not. There was his first out of the blue title reign where he defeated Triple H on Thursday Raw, Thursday Live, and that one was kind of mediocre, but it was more the second reign where I think he really came into his own, really started developing that persona of the rock, and got him to that level where people were starting to talk about him being a possible main inventor, um, all mm-hmm. the way up to when he finally dropped it in that ladder match to Triple H at SummerSlam 98. So I felt like the Intercontinental title. Kind of, uh, along with The Rock really developing that talking in the third-person persona really got him to that next level, and that's why I picked him as number 10. And uh, another thing, Triple H did not make my list, so before I forget.
1: Okay, I do have The Rock, but I'll bring him up later on when uh, when I've got him on my list. Who do you got
0: at 9? Okay, so my number 9 is actually someone that you said is not on your list, um, and it was actually The Ultimate Warrior. Um yeah, granted he was never he never had the greatest matches out there, but uh that match at SummerSlam eighty eight when he ended the Honky Tonk man's record reign, uh I remember the place going absolutely ballistic. Um I kind of felt like his previous pay-per-view appearance was against Hercules at WrestleMania four was kind of mediocre. The I felt like he needed that to get him to that next level, so to speak. He was kind of the lower mid card. And he really started catching fire when he won the Intercontinental title. Um, basically held it for the next year and a half with the exception of a five-month loss at WrestleMania Five to Rick Rude. Uh, won it back in the 89 SummerSlam. But I felt like, and that was the other thing, he was Intercontinental champion when he beat Hogan. It was a title-for-title title match, so the Intercontinental title really did boost him where he went from like that true mid-card to main event level. So that's why I picked the Ultimate Warrior. Nice, so my number 9 was someone you didn't put on your list
1: I had Triple H at number 9 um, His reign is Hunter Hearst Helmsley And then, you know, once he changed his name to just straight Triple H I felt like that that boosted him, you know, winning the King of the Ring After the whole, um, what was it, the curtain call at the Garden where he took the heat for everything, and then had to rebuild himself after that punishment. So I, I had Triple H at number nine.
0: Nice. Yeah, I still remember that first match where he won the belt, and um, he was supposed to face Mr. Perfect that night on Raw, yeah. and Perfect uh, supposedly gotten hit. Well, they, th- there was a video of him getting hit by, like, one of those rolling trunks by Triple H backstage. And Mr. Perfect basically convinced Mark Merrow to, or Mark Merrow supposedly volunteered to take his spot and put the belt on the line. And then Perfect turned on Mark Marrow, hit him with a chair shot, and Triple H was champ. But, yeah, then Triple H, the latter match, win over The Rock. And then uh, one that's not often remembered, but uh, in 2001, he defeated Jeff Hardy during that two-man power trip angle with Stone Cold. Right. So, uh, and at that point, it kind of like he had already kind of excelled beyond that in the continental title level. Um, so that that was more for storyline, but yeah, uh, right. De- definitely good choice. All right, so who's your number eight?
1: My number eight is the man we opened up the show talking about for losing his title, Chris Jericho. Jericho was. The first double champ, you know, in WWE with the WCW title and the um, WWE championship, I felt with his intercontinental title reign, it kept him at that upper echelon while guys like, you know, Rock, Austin, Triple H had the world title. He brought legitimacy to the IC strap at that time. So that's why I went with Chris Jericho at uh, number
0: eight. You're not going to get an argument for me because he was also my number eight. Nice. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. His first title reign was really, I mean, he was almost at that main event level pretty quickly, I think, by WrestleMania 2000. Um, but yeah, his, even prior to that, he first won it from China. Uh, they did the co champion thing. So he kind of helped. Even though she, he had wanted from her, she wasn't. I think she, he kind of legitimized her a little bit more by that. Um, and the list of names that he dropped the title to was also a who's who of the greats of all time: uh, Kurt Angle, Chris Benoit. Oh, I'm sorry. He who shall not be named. Sorry, did I say that? Tri- <laughs> Triple H, uh, Kane, RVD, Christian, the current champion. Of the WWE, Kofi Kingston and Rey Mysterio. So, you know, the guy, the guy's his losses were really to up, uh, really a who's who of the greats. It wasn't like any slouches or anything like that. I remember when Kofi beat him, I was a little surprised. And now look at him, Kofi Kingston, even champion now. So, uh, and Jericho had some great matches for the Intercontinental Title. There was the whole, you know, the matches with the series with China, and then they had that triple threat match with Hardcore Holly. Uh, There was that amazing ladder match between him and Benoit for the belt. Uh, At a point where the Intercontinental Title and ladder matches, there have been so many of them now. How do you really stand out in that Benoit Triple H match? I think he even got the Walls of Jericho on Benoit at the top of the ladder. Right, and
1: I felt like he did what an Intercontinental Champion is supposed to do. You pass the torch to that ne- next guy as you move on to the world title.
0: Yeah, uh, he was also a guy that, yeah, he went up to that world title level, but he came back down and didn't feel like it was a true step down for him either. Right. So, yeah, Um. that being said, he's actually the most recent champion on my list as well. So the rest of my list, sorry, guys. It's all 80s and 90s, guys. Same here. Same here, 100%. So, uh, I guess I'll go with my number seven because we're doing two back-to-backs. Um, so, th- this is an interesting one. Um, it's another rock, but not the rock. It is actually the Magnificent or the the rock Don Morocco, depending on which you prefer. So, the Magnificent for Rocco uh, is one of the... F- first champions i believe he was he was the fourth champion winning it from pedro morales dropped it back to him won it back um a lot of memorable moments um but he also defined and we didn't see a ton of this as much but i felt like in a lot of ways for the intercontinental title he was the first so-called lucky champion um there was that match with superfly jimmy snook uh, we all remember the iconic superfly splash off the top of the steel cage that mcfoley has referenced several times as what inspired him to go into the into wrestling. What a lot of people don't remember is how it got to that point. That wasn't the end of the match. That was after the match. Superfly actually hit a headbutt to Morocco, and Morocco went after the headbutt, tailing back, flipped over the ropes, and out the cage door. Uh, there was also. He. Pedro Morales, when he won the title from him, uh, he was scooping him up for a slam, and he just kind of fell on him. Uh, and then, uh,. There was another incident with The Rock's father, Rocky Johnson, actually had him in the sleeper hold, and the referee called for the bell. The place went ballistic, thinking Rocky Johnson had just defeated him for the title, and it turned out that, no, they had hit the curfew and had to get the hell out of MSG, and it was a draw.
1: Nice. Encyclopedia
0: coming in with the facts. I love it encyclopedia also did a lot of research because i i actually never saw that i was reading through like a uh, history of wwe.com and i was like oh i remember hearing about this interesting
1: nice so my number seven is actually one of my favorite guys of all time razor ramon
0: the bad guy hold on hold on razor
1: ramon Razor comes in at my number seven. His iconic um, ladder match with Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 10 that really put the the belt on the map at that point, kind of brought it back. Um, but yeah, Ray, Razor at number seven. His character really developed while he had it. You know, they had the double titles that he was walking around with for a little bit, and he's one of those guys that. Of, of some of the guys who held the IC title that never went on to win the world title, but definitely deserved, I think, getting it. But Razor comes in at my number seven.
0: Oh, that's a good choice. Um, I'm not going to argue that one because he did make my list, but not at, not at, uh, not at that number. Okay. So,
1: so I'll jump in with number six. Sounds good. My okay. number six is Ravishing Rick Rude. Another one of my favorite guys. But, um... Root's title reigns were epic at that time. He kind of held it down. After Honky dropped it to Warrior, he won it from Warrior. Part of the Heenan family. Um, The first, really, to do the matching tights with the belt. And, um... I, I loved his character. Another one of my all-time favorites. So Rick Rude comes in at my number six.
0: Yeah, in that title reign, I remember he, he, WrestleMania five, he was getting he was getting his clock cleaned, and Warrior went to suplex him into the ring. He then grabbed the Warrior's foot and just kind of held it down, and Rude got the pin. But uh, Rude, yeah, Rude had a pretty respectable reign there. I know Andre the Giant got involved towards the end of it, um, and you know what? A lot of people probably don't recall um, Rude actually did not lose that title quite cleanly yeah he lost one two three but he actually saw the moon when he lost that belt he did that I do recall so uh, if you have the WWE network fire up SummerSlam 89 and you'll know what we're talking about
1: That was actually my very first pay-per-view I ever watched.
0: Ah. SummerSlam 1989. Unfortunately, the one I saw first wasn't as iconic. And the first one I ordered was several years. It was probably almost five years after that. But anyway, uh, I actually, uh, for those of you that haven't checked it out already, uh, go back to we did, Stevie G and I did a watch along for SummerSlam 94. Um, I was hoping to get a couple matches in. Timing didn't quite work out, but one of the matches on my list was the Warrior Rude match from the 89 SummerSlam because it is the 30th anniversary. It didn't quite work out timing-wise, but uh, I did not pick Rick Rude for my list, though. (laughs) Okay. So my number six, um, and this is going to probably shock and horrify a lot of people, um, it is one of the greats of all time. Actually, one of the two guys that everybody says is the greatest of all time. It's the Heartbreak Age Shawn Michaels. Wow. Okay. Now, yeah, granted, his intercontinental title reigns, you could say a lucky champion. I mean, you know, he, had, he took a share of countout victories and what have you, but there were times that he dropped the belt that did help get someone else over, such as former partner Marty Giannetti, even though it was only for a couple of weeks. Um, but he really started in his chase for the intercontinental title when Bret Hart was champion and, and then actually winning it. A lot of iconic moments with memory could really start to see he's going to get to that next level uh the, the match with the british bulldog where um, the, one, the last saturday night's main event that they did on fox where um, bulldog uh ended up taking a turnbuckle shot with the exposed turnbuckle and then got michael's over the top it's going to be superplex and michael's going to fell on him uh, and Michael's feud with Gennetti and when Gennetti actually won the belt he kind of popped out of the crowd on Raw after Michael said he could take anybody um, Gennetti was kind of in street clothes took the push it off, dropped the belt, won it back uh, and then that title, that next title reign only ended because he did not meet the 30 day requirement to defend the belt that was the storyline reason they gave us which, yeah, they really enforce that now, right Brock? <laughs> yeah, but uh, the truth of the matter was he supposedly failed the steroid test uh huh. Yeah, when I think Roy did, not, I think hard. great kid Shawn Michaels. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here with this. And then that last time, hi- uh, and then <laughs> his last title reign, I he had that epic match with the Jeff look, Jarrett. That time, the second I'm in your house, which we referenced earlier. Um, great, great, great match. It's one of the few in your house matches I can go back and watch over and over again. And he never I'm actually lost at that five, time either. Just right. Which is actually a fun fact. Oh, hey, I'm the shortest you're the you're title in reign in history was actually from that very man who got the title after him. It was Dean Douglas, lasted less than 10 minutes. (laughs) Michael's had been jumped by a bunch of guys in Syracuse, had to vacate the title, they gave it to Douglas because he was supposed to face him at the next in your house, and then his Ramon came out and beat him like 10 minutes later and won the belt. Which is actually, leads into my number 5. The bad guy, Ramon. Sorry, I just I got to get that R rolling where I could, um, and yeah, Razor and Shawn Michaels twice had iconic ladder matches for that belt. Um, but Razor, yeah, he never got to that world title level. Um, he, uh, which which is sad. Uh, unfortunately, part of it might have been demons. Part of it might have been when he chose to take the money and go to WCW. Not that you could blame him for that. Um, but Razor, he he came in as a heel, almost within four months. Within two like two months, he was main eventing Survivor Series in a tag match with Fla- Ric Flair against what ended up being Mr. Perfect and the Macho Man. Gets a title shot against Bret Hart two months later, and then kind of was kind of in limbo as a heel for a while. Got the face turn with the whole One Two Three Kid IRS storyline, um, and that Intercontinental title I think is what solidified him as a true babyface. There, I think that really put him over the edge. Uh, I mean, he dropped, yeah, he dropped the belt to Jeff Jarrett, ended up getting it back eventually, um, and then even after he eventually ultimately lost it for the last time, he ends up winning the ladder match with Shawn Michaels a second time, so yeah, the, for Razor, he definitely carried that carried that belt for well over a year on and off, and kind of maintained its hold as the as as one of the more entertaining aspects, Cause especially if you look in the m- mid '90s when he was champ, um, and next goes with Shawn Michaels and a few others, the popularity wasn't there for the WWF back then. Um, and he was one of those guys that still that the fans loved and still wanted to. Uh, he was one of the draws. Is what I'm trying to get at. So um, that that was my way. Razor Ramon was my number five
1: nice he's actually the signature on my Intercontinental Championship in the Bear Cave Studios
0: very nice did he sign it as Razor or Scott Hall he signed it as Razor nice nice
1: so now number five for me is The Rock I put him here at number five because um I like I like I mentioned at the beginning memorable for me um once he was in the nation and he really started to become the rock like you mentioned before speaking in a third person his character kind of blossomed there and that IC championship really solidified it for me and really pushed him to that next level where he took that jump and he was no longer Rocky Maivia he wasn't like that limbo weird Samoan not, not weird but like happy go lucky Samoan fighter that he came in as and really took on that rock persona and the rest is basically history now he's Hobson Shaw grossing over 700 million worldwide in a movie so for me number 5 was The Rock
0: I definitely smell what Eluso is cooking? <laughs> nice.
1: So that was my number five. Uh, my number four is Mister Perfect. Some of his most iconic matches were him either with the IC strap or dropping the IC strap. One that I can really remember was SummerSlam. I want to say '91 where he dropped it to Bret Hart and, you know, he kind of lost his tights and, you know, the kind of restless history where Bret really moved into that upper echelon and stopped being a tag wrestler. Started to become the excellence of execution. But Mr. Perfect really personified the IC Championship. He was perfect in every aspect so for me mr perfect comes in at number four
0: i do have a little issue with that placement but that's okay it's all good nice okay um so my number four is actually a hall of famer he's one of the legends of all time i'm um, actually looking at my list pretty much all of them are hall of famers or future hall of famers but anyway um this guy was definitely one of the top drawers of the 80s and the 90s uh he had one of the longest title reigns one of the more entertaining title reigns and had actually what a lot of people claim is the greatest match of all time uh my number four is the macho man randy savage
1: nice i have macho a little bit higher okay but we'll get okay. to that later
0: all right fair enough um yeah but macho really when he came in uh first there was that whole storyline about who was going to be his manager there was like you had like bobby heenan and oliver Humperdink and mr fuji and jimmy hart like it looked like that one of them was going to get him and then he unveiled elizabeth and i feel like that intercontinental title win over Tito Santana really got him to that next level um i mean he had his share of matches with hogan but that was back in an era where hogan wasn't really getting challenged by anybody um so uh yeah the Put him on the map when he used the Brass Knucks to beat Tito in the Boston Garden and then held that belt all the way to one of the greatest matches of all time, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat of WrestleMania 3, the match that stole that show in a lot of ways. funny thing was that was his only title reign. Uh, He was penciled in to beat Honky Tonk Man on that faithful main event show where Hogan dropped the belt to Andre controversially and Honky basically refused and said he was going to... I think the think the story went that he was going to show up in the NWA with the Intercontinental title. So they let him keep the belt and it worked out for Macho because he ended up being the WWF champion instead of Ted DiBiase, so I guess the Million Dollar Man was the one that got screwed there, but yeah, Macho was almost a two-time champ, and even when, uh, when Honky won the belt, it was really, he was feuding with Macho, so that kind of helped legitimize Honky in a way. I would not say that the belt uh, legitimized Honky. I think it was the feud with Macho Man that really did it. So, uh, not only did he. Yeah, so not only did Macho bring some prestige back to the belt after a couple years where it kind of came down a little bit, but he also, in feuding for that belt, helped get some other guys over. Right. For me,
1: my number three, which some will say he should be higher, but for me, I have him at three Brett the Hitman Hart. I have him at number three, you know. It's a, I would want to say, a preference for me. I was was always a Sean guy. Laosa is a big Brett guy, so for me, I have Brett at three. You can't take away from it. His runs with the IC title were very prestigious. He really came into his character as the Intercontinental Championship. With the Intercontinental Championship, sorry. Um, so for me, Brett at three really kind of propelled himself to that next level.
0: Uh, it's a very good pick. Um, I agree with it because he was also my number three. Nice. And with him, he was a guy that they tried the singles run with him at the late 80s. Um, they split him in the envelope, ended up bringing them back together again, even though every major pay-per-view in that time they were supposedly a apart. For the most part, they were still on the same team. I think the only exception was the third Survivor Series, where Brett was on one team and Anvil was in a completely different match. But yeah, Brett's first like singles attempt didn't go over very well, but the second one... Uh, coincidentally ended up feuding with Mr. Perfect the second time because he did feud with him the first time but yeah that match at Madison Square Garden put him over the edge um, finally was recognized as a legitimate singles uh, up and comer and dropped it to the Mountie um, at one point so I helped get the Mountie over as great as that might be um, had a classic again this time at Rowdy Rowdy Piper at Wrestlemania 8 uh, even shedding blood and the first time we ever saw somebody reverse a sleeper hold into a pinning combination and then helped really get the British bulldog to that next level as well uh, when at Wembley Stadium and uh, what was a very creative ending where he went for that sunset flip and bulldog set sat down hooked both legs pulled him down would Breevv of- been the best there is the best there was the, the best there ever will be truly to me he's not necessarily the best but being able to say that moniker and have a lot of people believe it would he be even able to claim that if it wasn't for the intercontinental title runs that started really developing him as a single star very very true All right, so my number two is actually the man who has the most days as Intercontinental Champion. Uh, He was the very first Triple Crown winner in WWF history, and that is Pedro Morales. Nice. Now, Morales is interesting in the fact that he actually had won the world title and the tag team title prior to his Intercontinental title. So the Intercontinental title was more towards the end of his run. Um, but which also, I, as being the one of the, I believe he was the third champion, it really kind of helped solidify it. Like, hey, this guy was a world champion for several years. He had one of the longest reigns of all time. Uh, he, was, he had the belt for like two years. And yet he's now wearing the Intercontinental title. And he kind of went back and forth with, with Don Morocco for that belt. So um, kind of helped Morocco get over as well. Mm. but uh but those kind of credentials the guy did it um you know uh r- rest in peace pedro we lost him earlier this year uh, He was actually a resident of the town i live in now which i didn't realize until i was doing my research for this nice but yeah i i i, I was iffy about some of the guys before i really started watching really before the hogan era but Morales and a morocco or two that stood out and i was like Morales, a trip first triple crown champion I couldn't put it in lower than some of these other guys I mentioned. Nice. So my number two was, I believe, your number
1: four or five, Shawn Michaels for me. Like I mentioned, it was a preference thing between him and Brett at two and three. For Shawn there, he really came into his own and kind of put the company on his back, ushering in that new generation of wrestlers. But, um, Shawn Michaels for me at number two, he became the heartbreak kid with that persona, with the IC strap, you know, that whole feud with Razor, where he kind of, he didn't lose it, and so he showed up with his own belt, and the rest was history with that. One of my favorite matches, that WrestleMania 10 ladder match, so for me, Sean was it 2
0: Yeah, and there's been some that have said Michaels really had a match with a ladder, not necessarily Razor Ramon. It's kind of harsh. I, I never necessarily agree with that, but yeah, Michaels, Michaels really carried that first one. Definitely. definitely. <laughs> All right, and then there was one. one. One
1: is the loneliest number, they say. So for me, my number one was Macho Man Randy Savage. I felt he really became the Macho Man after that WrestleMania three match with Ricky Steamboat, where they put on one of the greatest matches in WWF history, WWE history. So um, he was the workhorse. He's What became the reason why some people say that the workhorse gets the IC strap because, you know, the big guys have the world title and the smaller guys who can go with anybody have the IC strap. And I felt like Macho personified that and gave legitimacy to that with the IC strap. So that's why I put him for me, at number
0: one. Well, he was in my top ten, so I can't argue against that. Now, to me, I think my number one was absolutely perfect. And I actually had, to, when I was trying to see if Truman from Run Bull Run could come on, um, he threw out Mr. Perfect, and I was like, oh, we're on the same page. But, uh, yeah, for, I mean, Mr. Perfect, to me, he was that ultimate intercontinental champion. Uh, he was very believable as a guy that... That could be... had some chinks in the armor where he might he might just barely squeak it out. There were times that he was very dominant. Um, but he like he kind of lingered for a while, for a couple of years, um, where he was like... It looked like he was on the verge of winning the WWF title. There was actually a rumor that he was going to be the one to controversially beat Hogan and then drop it to Warrior uh, the, with the WWF title. Uh, that didn't happen, but perfect one the account title from Tito Santana. Uh, made... Really, let's be honest, he made as much as I love the Texas Tornado, he really made him look gold when he dropped the belt to him at that SummerSlam. Won it back. Uh, had probably one of the better technical matches that the big boss man ever had at WrestleMania 7. And then, in a major way, despite a back injury, that, that should have kept him out of the ring. Of put Bret Hart over. And then years Here's later, after he kind of recovered from that back injury, uh, he had that, that match at the 93 SummerSlam with with Shawn Michaels. Uh, I lost that one on a count-out when dealer got got interfered but they hyped that one up as what at the time Shawn Michaels said the two greatest Intercontinental champions of all time and in some ways there's some that say that Mr. Perfect was kind of a mentor for Shawn Michaels in some respects. So um, that was why I picked Mr. Perfect. Uh, He kind of held that Intercontinental title scene uh, in between really some really some big shoes to fill. You had the Ultimate Warrior before, and then Bret Hart after. No slouches. Future Definitely. World. Both of them actually won the world title after uh, their Intercontinental title reigns, and he so he was kind of that glue that knew how to main event and kind of got got uh, at least in Bret's case, kind of made him look like a possible main eventer as well. So Definitely. that's why I picked Mister Perfect. I'm not mad at it. Mr. Perfect for me that top four
1: I was struggling where to put guys, but definitely mr. Perfect Was one of also my favorite Intercontinental champions I I would do on that
0: nice and a little fun fact um, Personal fun fact for the encyclopedia when I found the WWF, for sure, um, the first match, and I probably, if I mention this, sorry, folks, are going to hear it again. The first match I ever saw was Hogan Macho King uh, with Buster Douglas as the referee. It was on at my friend Paul's house. Uh, his dad had put it on. But it didn't really click in my head until it was months later. I was flipping through the channels, and I see a Brother Love Show episode where... Million Dollar Man was trying to buy Dustin Rhodes off. And after they started beating down Dustin Rhodes, it was the Texas Tornado that came out and saved him. So I love the Tornado. And then the next week I go and watch, and Million Dollar Man costs Mister Perf- uh, basically hands Mr. Perfect the Intercontinental title. And that's when I got hooked. It was that whole Texas Tornado, Mr. Perfect, the tail end of that feud that I was like, wow. And I was torn because I was like, I like Tornado and I like Perfect.
1: <laughs> <laughs> now, correct me if I'm wrong, Okay. Some people may not know this, but watching Beyond the Ring, was this the time that Tornado had um, one good foot, like he had gotten the other one amputated?
0: I believe his entire WWF run, yeah, he was an amputee with the fake leg or foot, yeah, I, which amazes me, and I'm always been curious where that actually started, like in the timeline, but yeah. But but not just that, where was it? above the ankle because you saw skin go into the boot (laughs) you did that's very true and how bizarre that he wrestled and walked on so well that a lot of people didn't realize it i think they even said most of the wrestlers didn't realize it until they'd see him in the locker room and take the boots off and they were like whoa wait a sec
1: yeah it's crazy i i had no idea until i watched uh beyond the ring which i believe they're coming back with a season two so stay tuned for that
0: yeah definitely um Alright, anything else you want to mention about the Intercontinental title?
1: Now, a lot of people have preferences. What is your favorite strap around the IC title? There's been many color variations from purple, yellow, white, black. And is it the classic IC title or that kind of weird round one that they did
0: during the two thousands, uh, first thing I'll say, you mentioned all those colors. Uh, that was basically Ultimate Warrior's entire intercontinental title reign. It was basically taste the rainbow. Um, <laughs>
1: <laughs> basically,
0: I, I, yeah, I the multicolored leathers, uh, the changing of the leather colors. I uh, that part of am eh. But I'm more of a traditionalist with most of the belts. Um, that being said, the original Intercontinental title wasn't necessarily a fan of for me. It was that it was that very one that Warrior, Rude, Mr. Perfect, uh, Honky Tonk, Macho Man. That that belt, that's the one I like, and and actually it's still being used today in some incarnations. Yeah, it's got the WWE logo, but to me it's still it's the one belt that they haven't changed it. For the most part, it stayed the same almost since its inception. Because yeah, it it didn't look that way when it initially started, but um, they managed to keep that that design. And there were, there was actually a time that the Intercontinental Title was viewed as being nicer looking than the WWF title uh, when Hogan was champ, right? Um, his first title reign. So go figure. For um, me,
1: for me, it was that white one.
0: I uh, I really
1: liked the white design what about and um, even to the point where WCW mimicked the shape and everything and made their US title look like the IC title
0: that's interesting I never thought of it that way I remember I remember ECW's tag team titles were basically the intercontinental titles just a different slightly color scheme but yeah I never thought about that with the US title interesting Mm.
1: If you go back and, and look at those in the, I guess I want to say the mid to late 90s in WCW, it was very similarly shaped, just with the eagle on it with the um,
0: U.S. flag. Yeah, that was the one that I think came over when they, with the acquisition. It was, it was, uh, th- that was the one that e- I believe Edge had actually won it. Um, right around that time right. that they did that whole that whole storyline with the invasion storyline that they managed mm-hmm. to botch up. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not bitter about that, no. <laughs>
1: Everybody from WCW loses.
0: Everyone. Uh, yeah, don't get me started on that shit. Uh, <laughs> anyway, alright. So, um... That was it, folks. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, Sorry, it is not a three-hour masterpiece like you probably would have gotten if Dan and Tom were on. Uh, We're going to probably have to cut back on uh, those really lengthy ones. Uh, Hopefully, this is more digestible uh, for all of you. Um, But we wanted to try something uh, different that we're we're always experimenting with new content. Uh, Some of it might be uh, stolen from other podcasts, but um, WWE really... With the exception of maybe doing some, some more on the actual during the actual shows, WWE had just had so much out there that we was like, okay, what can we do that they haven't done? Oh, top ten list, um, which I do I do like doing. Um, the only other option I thought was to do the top ten in our continental title matches of all time. Um, that would have taken several hours. So
1: yeah, that 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 would have been a uh, a very intense research to get those matches right
0: yeah i probably in that case i probably would have spent the six hours watching that whole 20 most influential and continental title matches of all time that wwe network put on which i'm sure will be great background when i'm at the gym jogging or elliptical or whatever the hell i'm doing (laughs) because just six hours like i'm complaining (laughs) about the length of pay-per-views and i'm gonna watch six hours worth of intercontinental titles straight and but we thank you guys for listening. We
1: hope you guys enjoy the top tens and the extra content that we bring you guys. So, Cyclopedia, thank you for letting me come on and do my first top ten. I, I did enjoy it. I did enjoy uh, kind of going back down memory lane and reminiscing about some of these old champions. So for me, it was a it was a home run here.
0: Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely had a great time doing that. Uh, next time, hopefully we could get the man who's holding the Intercontinental title in our graphic. Uh, hopefully we could find time to get Stevie G in there. He's a very busy man these days. Um, but Stevie G, we we're thinking of you, and uh, maybe you could even shed some light on what who you would have possibly thrown in, in your top ten next time we have you on.
1: Definitely, that'd be interesting to hear.
0: Alright, so uh, I believe next time you'll hear from us, we will be t- giving our picks for the upcoming Clash of Champions, so check that out um, Also, let us know what you think, uh, put your comments who would have been your top 10 or who do you think was the greatest Intercontinental Champion of all time, uh, look for something on Instagram where we try to get that feedback from you guys uh, looking forward to that Definitely,
1: we'll put some polls up or maybe we'll uh honorable mention some of you guys uh, if you've got something different from us or if you think we're crazy for having certain people in their spots let us know we'd love to hear your feedback and we definitely want to hear more from you guys and let us know what you guys think of what we're putting out there you like it you think it sucks you think we should change something let us know man we love the criticism and we want to hear it so we thank you guys for always tuning in and um, being a part of the sports frenzy universe
0: yeah and well we'll we'll uh we'll mention you guys we, we you know we want we want that feedback uh want to hear your name and get all excited when you're listening to our podcast They're like oh my god they mentioned me this is your
1: chance this is your chance here it is so www.thisportsfrenzypodcast.com we'll get all this up on the sports media the social media pages We'll add each and every one of us. So if you guys think we suck, add us and let us know. And um, we will catch you guys later this week with the Clash of the Champions with some a nice healthy debate, which we had a little bit in our text thread uh, between the Encyclopedia and Stevie G about aew and wwe so tune in for that it's very insightful i loved it uh reading through it in the text messages and i can't wait for you guys to experience it uh in the audio and live in the flesh so stay tuned for that coming up next week
0: yeah definitely uh there's times we start these debates and text messages and i'm like or steven will be like we should do this on the show yeah <laughs> this was one of those it, w- it was awesome. It's going to be a very healthy debate,
1: and I look forward to hearing to it. Thanks for joining us. We will catch you later this week, and enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the kickoff of the NFL season. We're watching it. At least I'm watching it live. I think the encyclopedia may be having it on in the background as well. So enjoy it, and we'll catch you guys later. Peace.